Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hand. If you didn't bring a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure, grab one of these as our gift to you that you could take home with you. But grab a copy of God's Word, uh, whether it's your own Bible, one of these Bibles, whether it's your iPad or your iPhone, whatever, grab a copy of God's Word. Open up to Matthew chapter 28. We're just going to be in a couple of verses, verses 18 to 20 this morning. As, as you're turning there, I was reading this week about this uh, general during the Civil War. He was a general for the North. His name was George McClellan. Now, Abraham Lincoln could not have asked for a better general. His nickname was Young Napoleon. He had such a, a strategic mind for war. He was actually, he was the youngest person ever to be accepted to West Point, to the U.S. Military College. He, in fact, he was 15 years old when he was accepted into West Point. I mean, think about that. When I was 15, right, I'm like trying to calculate how many lawns do I have to mow so I can buy a swatch watch, right? I'm, to, hey, I'm thinking, hey, clear a cell. Please do your work today and clean this mess up, right? That's what, I, that's what I'm at 15. And yet here we get this guy. He's, he, obviously, he was homeschooled. He makes it to, to West Point at 15 years old, right? When he started, the military recruitment increased 300% in just four months. The troops loved this guy. There was this, this sense of unity that came. There was this belief that, hey, we can actually win this war. So no one was surprised when Lincoln came along and said, I'm making you my general in chief. He had the experience, he had the, the talent, he had the education, he had an army now that outnumbered the southern army two to one, but there was one problem with General George McClellan. He wouldn't fight. He, he would strategize, he, he would organize the troops. Lincoln would urge him, take your troops, go against Lee's army, take him out, but he never would engage in battle. After a year of this, a year of, of inactivity, Lincoln removed the greatest military mind of his time and replaced him with Ulysses S. Grant. He hears a man on paper didn't have even a half of the abilities that George McClellan had, but he did have this. He had a desire to engage with the enemy. And listen, a, a general that has all the abilities in the world but never engages in the task for which they've been called is trained to do this task. They never do it. What a, they're useless as a general. And as Christians, as a church, we've been called to do something as well. And, and without this happening at the core of our activity, everything we do is useless. And the one thing we've been called to as a church, as followers of Christ, is to go and make disciples. And no, no matter how good we are at everything else that we do, if we don't do this, we fail on the mission. Listen, we can raise all the money in the world. We can build a great building. We can have the best kids' ministries and students' ministries. We, we can have the most welcoming and caring small groups. We can have the greatest high-impact Sundays with, with preaching and worship that's just off the charts. But if we don't take the gospel, if we don't take the good news of Jesus Christ from our, our hearts to our neighbors to the world... If we don't make disciples, we fail at this mission. In fact, look at Matthew 28. You've got it open there, verse 18. And it says this, And Jesus came to 
came and said to them, he's talking to his disciples here, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is something in church world we call the Great Commission. These are the marching orders of Jesus. This is him saying, hey, this is your job description. This is the mission you've been called to as Christ followers. So if you're taking notes this morning, our first point is this. The mission of harvest is making disciples. I mean, that's the mission of our church is to make disciples. And you start to talk to pastors and pastors, we've got kind of the three B's of bragging as pastors. Do you know what the three B's are? Buildings, hey, what's your building? Look at how big of a building you got. Where's your building, right? So I don't get to brag on that because we meet in a high school. That's okay, all right? People also, pastors also brag about, about budgets. Hey, how, how much money do you guys have? How much money do you bring in? What's your yearly budget? And we brag about butts in the seats, all right? Those are the three B's. That's how a lot of pastors, that's how we'll say, hey, how's your church doing? What do they ask? Hey, how big are you? But what Jesus calls us to here, what he celebrates as, hey, this is a church that's doing it right. This is a church that's, that's doing what I've called them to do. It's a church that's growing disciples. And so at Harvest, we want to see the lost saved. We want to see the saved matured. We want to see the matured multiplied. It's not just about, hey, hey, how many people can we cram into this place? How many people can we get in? If it was just all about seeing about getting the most people here, listen, we'd have a Ferris wheel in the parking lot and jumpy castles and a kegger and like a big gorilla on the roof doing this, right? And we could pack the place out. But a full room is not our goal. Yeah, we, we want as many people to come and hear the good news that although we are broken and messed up, although we are enemies of God, that through Jesus Christ, through his perfect life, through his death in our place to pay the penalty for our sins, his resurrection that conquers sin and death and ourself and Satan, that we are set free, we are made new. That we go from being enemies of God now to be sons and daughters of God, redeemed, his forever. I mean, that's good news, and we, we want people to hear that good news. There, there are so many of you here right now that, that just recently, you, your heart was drawn by God, you responded, and you're sitting here as a new creation this morning. The lost are found. We become followers of Jesus. But here's the thing, we don't stop there. As followers of Jesus, what do we do? We wanna now live our lives as lifelong followers of Jesus. We wanna mature and grow in what it means to be a follower of his. We wanna be multiplied and, and grow others up to do the same. So our, our priority as a church, what are we here on mission doing? Our priority is for all of us to grow disciples, followers of Jesus. We want to look like, live like Jesus. It's that simple. That's our mission. Now, what do I mean when I say that we want to live like Jesus? I want to say we want to move deeper than just a head full of knowledge about who Jesus is. We want our hearts to be transformed. That's why we started this series on bold. We began at the heart level. Our hearts need to first be transformed by this message. We then take that out to the world. Because if our hearts aren't changed, if our lives are not engaged with this, if we aren't living like Jesus, we become a joke to the watching world. 
We're just hypocrites where we say, hey, listen, this is the truth. This is right. Here's life-changing news. But then our lives, in our churches, in our families, nothing changes. We do the exact same thing with our spending, with our living, with our relationships, with how much we do or don't care for the broken in our communities. Listen, we can talk a lot about Jesus, but if we're not living this out, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you're like salt that's lost its saltiness. You have a usefulness. You're supposed to be salt and light, but when, when we don't live out the gospel, when it hasn't transformed our hearts, we become salt without saltiness. We become useless. And so we look to Jesus every day. Jesus, continue to transform me by the gospel. I, I don't just want to believe some facts about you, Jesus. I want to be transformed by you. Not perfect, but daily being changed more and more into the image of Jesus. So, so as a church, what do we want to do? We want to create those situations where that can happen, where we can grow in that very thing. We, we want to create situations where discipleship growth can happen. Look at verse 20. Jesus says we have to do this, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. So how are we doing that here at Harvest? We're trying to put you in those, those situations where you can be transformed by the gospel. And, and what does that look like? Well, it can look like this when we're gathering together right now. So on Sundays, we gather together to, to worship, to be in the word, to, to grow together, to be encouraged by each other, to continue in the walk, pursuing Jesus. I mean, that's what this whole sermon series is about. It's about equipping and growing us as disciples. What's it look like to live bold for the gospel? In January, we're gonna jump into a new sermon series and it's gonna look like this. It's gonna be very practical. Hey, specifically, what's it look like to be a follower of Christ at Harvest? Like, what's that really look like, right? When rubber meets the road, how's that look? We're gonna jump into that in January. In two weeks, I'm really excited for this. I'm also nervous for this. I could use your prayers on this. Here's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be digging into difficult questions people ask about God. There's gonna be six or seven sermons. I mean, if you want, if you have neighbors and friends, like, man, they, they got these tough questions, and invite them to church. Two weeks from now, we're gonna, like, like, the question is, like, if God's so good and so powerful, why all the suffering in the world? How can you trust your whole life to such an ancient book? Why would you say Jesus is the only way? Here's a tough one for our culture. Why does God care so much about who I sleep with? Just questions that, that maybe you've got these same questions. We, we want to dig into it. We want to be equipped. And so we gather on Sundays. We dig into the word. We worship together. We, we also do this. We gather in small groups all across Muskoka and Perry Sound. Now, in doing those things, listen, those aren't just check marks. It's not like, well, I've done, my, I've done my Sunday worship thing. Check. I've done my getting deeper in relationships on small group Wednesday night. Check. Just going isn't the goal. The whole goal is, is we want to be in places where we're known and loved and where we can know and love other people. It's, it's where you can find this safe place. When you, when you come into your small group, you find this place where you can be honest about who you are. You can be honest about your fears. You can be honest about your doubts. You can be honest about your struggles. You can find this place of community and accountability that's going to, you know they're going to press into your life with grace and truth, and you're going to do life together. You're not just going to talk about Jesus. You're going to say, hey, hey, let's do this together. So a small group is a place where you gather together where you can say something like, hey, you know what? My marriage is struggling so bad right now. 
And rather than people looking awkward and kind of shuffling their feet and saying, you know, hey, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'll pray for you. Hey, here's a, a good book. You should read this. Why don't you read? It's really good. And then get away as fast as you can. No, a small group's a place where when somebody shares that, what happens? You jump in and do life together. Amen. Amen. You don't just pray for somebody, you pray with them. You engage in life with them. You, you get a phone call, you get a text, you get somebody calling you up and say, hey, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? Why don't you, why don't you just come over? Let's, let's keep working through this. Your home becomes this, this open time. Your resources become open for others. And you walk life together. You know, it was just last Sunday after church, talking with somebody after church, and you know, he asked, hey, how are you doing? And I, I said, hey, how are you doing? He goes, you know what? Just a little while ago, I wasn't doing great. I was doing horrible, and it was, it was one of the toughest times, and, I, and life was not going good, and, and I was drifting away from small group, and, and he said this, he goes, my wife was in small group without me one night, and, and these are his words, she told on me, I love that, right? I'm like, yeah, I keep doing that, I keep telling on them, right? So what did the small group do? They said, oh, you know what, we'll pray for them. No, they didn't do that. They said, hey, let's pray right now, and then what did they do? The guys in the group called him up. They say, hey, what's going on? Hey, why don't you come, come, come on. Hey, we're gonna have you over this night on this week and you come over and they got around and they prayed and rallied around him and loved him and cared for him. Listen, that's what we're trying to produce. And that's not how culture does things. I don't know of any other place in the world where when somebody says, how are you doing? They actually want to hear the answer, Right? I mean, try it outside of like that kind of care and context of care and disciples where, where, hey, how are you doing? You know what? I'm doing horrible. Yeah, I actually um, was just trying to be polite. I really don't care. How, right? Isn't that how it is? My hope isn't that we have huge numbers of people in small group. My hope is this, that you find a place where you can take the risk to be known, where, where you can know others, where you can do life deeply. Now listen, does every small group nail this all the time with everyone? No. We're tripping and falling in this. Why? Because we're full of uh, a church full of broken, messed up people trying to do this together. But that's our hope. It's our best shot at making disciples. We also want to provide other places for it to happen. So, so we have hope groups. We have biblical soul care where, where you can, you can get, get your life and start to figure, hey, how does my life align? How do I get my life under Jesus Christ and the gospel? We, we want to multiply leaders. It's not just about a couple people doing all the work. What's it look like to train up? So we have classes happening all the time. We have Harvest University. That's not just for pastors. That's people saying, hey, I want to grow in what it means to be a disciple of Christ. Our mission as a church is to raise up disciples, people who abide in Christ, who worship Christ corporately, who get together and do life together in small group, who, who give their time and their resources and who go with the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. That's our goal. That's our mission. Here's our second point. That, that's the mission of, as, our, as a church, but here's our second point this morning. Making disciples is also the mission for every believer. Making disciples is the mission for every believer. I mean, this priority of, of, of this disciple-making, doing life together, it's not just as a church. It's something that each one of us, as individuals who make up this church, every follower of Jesus has been given this call to make disciples. It says here, Jesus says, make disciples. 
to, to grow up men and women, to grow up students and kids who are transformed by Jesus. And so they don't just follow Jesus, but now they go out and lead others to do the same. And, and as you see what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 28, there's a few verbs you see. He says, go. He says, baptize. He says, teach. All action going on in this command, but, but the key verb, what you would call the controlling verb, all the other verbs are, are, are submitted to this one verb, the key verb here. It's not go, because it's as you're going is what he's really saying. The key verb is make disciples. All the other activity comes under this, and, and you're accomplishing the other activity as you're making disciples. So we need to ask, hey, 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 how are we doing with the, the commission that Jesus gave us? How are we doing at making disciples? I mean, last week we talked about in our homes, well, what's that look like in our homes that we don't put the responsibility totally on the church? Well, the church needs to raise my kids to know what the gospel is. That's not the church's responsibility. It's, it's, if you're a parent, it's your responsibility first. I mean, how many kids grow up in the church and leave as they hit college, jacked up, wanting to get as far away from Jesus as possible? Why? Because they heard a lot about Jesus, but they didn't see it lived out. Some people, you, you read the Great Commission, you hear this, and you're like, okay, Jesus is giving this message to the apostles, so, so this is what church leaders need to do. I don't know if he's talking to everybody in the congregation here, but, but think about it. When he said to these disciples, he said, go out into all the nations and what? Teach them everything I commanded you. He didn't all of a sudden go, wait, wait, well, except for this one about going. Don't teach them this one. You just teach this one to people who went to seminary. You just teach this one to those who are called pastors. No, he says teach it to everyone. Everyone who follows Jesus is to be a disciple maker. I mean, Jesus says it this way in John 15, verse 8. He says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove you're my disciples. So, so how is God glorified in us? I mean, is it because we sing really loud on a Sunday, because we raise our hands, we're so engaged in worship? Is it, is it because we give away so much money? Is it because we memorize so much scripture? Maybe, maybe God is glorified in that for sure. But what Jesus is saying here, God is glorified when you bear much fruit. He says, doing this, when you bear fruit, you're actually proving where your roots are. He says, it proves you're a disciple. Why? Because things that are alive grow. Healthy things multiply. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I bearing fruit? Am I making disciples? Are there people who have heard about Jesus because of your life and your words? Are there people who are growing as followers of Christ, growing with you and around you, because of you, alongside of you? I mean, Jesus' plan to grow a church was not that he would find an amazing preacher and a killer worship band. Jesus', Jesus model for growing a church is not about, hey, you better have the best kids program. You better have the best programs for students. His plan for growing a church was that every single individual believer, all the followers of Christ, would be making disciples of people around them. God's plan for discipleship is not something, it's someone. And you and I, we are God's method. I mean, that's what this whole series is about. 
How do we equip each other? How do we, how do we grow? This Ephesians 4.12 says that my job is to what? Is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's what we're trying to do. Why? Not so that only a handful of people go and do the work of the ministry, so all of us can be equipped for the work of the ministry. And so I, I want to be sure with everything that we've got going on at our church, with, with lives that are, are so crammed, busy, that we don't get to the end of our lives and look back and say, man, the one thing Jesus asked me to do, I never did it. Because I would say this, listen, why are you here in Muskoka and in Perry Sound? You're not here because it's a beautiful place to live, although it is. You're not here just because you have a job opportunity in this place. I would say this, I would say from an eternal perspective, God has placed you here as a missionary. I think your job is important. It is so important. We need to do everything we do for the glory of God. And God gives you a job because of his grace and you're imparting grace on others through what you do in your work. But there's another layer to your job, even another purpose in your work. God puts you here as a missionary. God gave you your workplace as a mission field. There are people that you can talk to that wouldn't listen to me, but they'll listen to you. Now, I get this. We have to be careful. You, you get, there's a right way and a wrong way to have a mission field at work, right? As a teacher, you can't just preach the gospel to your kids all day. You can't do that. I mean, as a police officer, when you pull someone over, you can't use turn or burn as your way you're going to deal with them, right? You can't do that. Right? If you're a contractor, you, you can't say, yeah, you know what? The foundation of your home, it's going to need replacing. But really, because of the sin in your life, your life needs a new foundation. You, you just can't, all, you don't always have that door open to do those things, right? But listen, your workplace does put you into a, a, a mission field where you know the language better than anybody else, where you, where you know the culture better than anyone else, where, where you have relationships, where you walk alongside people for hours a day. You've got an advantage over me on that. My workplace is a horrible place to do missions, right? Most of the pastors are saved. So, I mean, it's, I'm kidding, all of them, all right? Listen, you are placed here in Muskoka as a missionary. I mean, think about that. Think about how the early church grew. When you, when you look through the book of Acts, the, the early church didn't grow because the apostles stepped in and started everything. You, if you read through the book of Acts, what you see is just about every single time an apostle shows up in the town, the gospel's already begun. People, just regular, ordinary followers of Jesus Christ who have regular jobs and just have regular lives, they're the ones who are the point of the spear of the gospel all the way through the book of Acts already sharing the good news. I mean, that's why we're here. I, I would say it this way, that, that our purpose isn't just to huddle up and hide out, right? I've said this before. Someone, someone said, shared this with me before, that Christians are like manure. All right, let me, let me keep going, all right? <laughs> when, when manure spread out, it grows things. When it just gathers together in clumps, it stinks, all right? Our, our purpose, yeah, we do come together to worship, but we do this to be sent out, to be equipped for the mission Jesus called us to. So, so quickly, let me share a few ways that we can do this. How, how can we be disciple makers? Our, our, our third and last point this morning is this, how do I become a disciple maker? How do I become a disciple maker? First way is this, own the mission. Own the mission. This is probably the, the most foundational key to this. This is the most important one. This is the biggest one. This is not your neighbor's job. It's not the person beside you. It's not their job. It's not the pastors of the church's job. We need to, to read what Jesus calls us to and say, hey, this is my job. 
I've been called to do this. Now, it's, it's scary for sure to think about stepping out and, and owning this mission as our mission. But remember, remember, it's Jesus doing the work through you. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. I'll make you fishers of men. He says, you follow, he says hey, hey, why don't you go and start being evangelists and then decide to follow me? No, he goes, no, start following me and I'll produce this work in you. I'll make you effective. So it's about maybe even this morning where you call and go, Jesus, I, I want to do this. I, I want to follow you. I, I want to step out. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not sure if I can do it. I don't even know the words to say, but, but Jesus, you called me to this, so I'm going to step out, and I'm going to watch you produce the results. Remember the story of Peter and the other disciples fishing all night, catching nothing, and Jesus calls out, hey, cast your net on the other side of the boat, they do that, they haul in this massive load of fish. It, it's not about your technique and what you do well, it's about trusting that Jesus has promised he's gonna go with you and he's gonna do the work and where you step into these places and you say, Jesus, you gotta do this. I mean, how, how often do you find yourself in those situations where, where you're in this place where you're like, oh man, Jesus, if you don't show up, this is a train wreck, but I, you've called me to this, so I'm stepping into this again. And I'm going to trust that you're going to produce the results. Here's the thing. I'm not hugely shocked by this. I'm not hugely shocked that, the, that there would be longtime Christ followers here in the room this morning who, who, I mean, you were like born in the church. So you did like nursery all the way through Sunday school to youth group. Like you were like so churched up, right? And I, I wouldn't be surprised that if, if that's you in the, this morning and you've been in church your whole life that you would say, you know what, I don't think I've ever led anybody to Jesus, I wouldn't be shocked by that. I would pray that maybe this morning is a morning where you say, you know what, today's a new day. Today's a day where I start to trust in Christ and I, I say, Jesus, you promised you're gonna go with me, so I'm gonna step out and do this. It, it doesn't bother me that there'd be people in the room who have never been a part of showing somebody Jesus, but what breaks my heart is if you're here this morning and that doesn't bother you. I mean, I get it. You, you can be a fisherman and spend a whole weekend out on the water and not catch one fish, right? And, but here's the thing. It, it, you don't come back super, Superman, I didn't catch it. But you, you do come back bothered that you didn't catch fish, right? You may not catch fish, but if you're a true fisherman, that should bug you a little bit. It's like, man, man, what lures have I been using? Where have I been, where have I, where have I been casting these lures, so we need to call out to God and say, God, listen, I'm following you and, and you've called me to go and you, you never give a command without a promise. So, so who do I need to talk to today? Where do I need to go? How do I need to do this? Give me the words. Lord, do I need to do this differently because I haven't seen any fruit? I believe this. If you accept the assignment, Jesus will make you effective. Here's, here's a second way we do this. How do we do this? Invite people into your life. Invite people into your life. You know, I was reading through the Gospel of Luke, and it's interesting. Pretty much every time you see Jesus ministering to somebody, showing somebody who he is, telling the good news of the Gospel, every single time he's either coming from, going to, or at a meal. That's a good Jesus I could follow right there, right? He's just eating all the time. He's just always in people's daily lives. He's always having meals with people or on his way to meals with people. So what's that mean? It means for many of you, listen, listen, how do I do this mission? We just open up our life and live life with people. 
Maybe it's having your neighbors over for dinner. Maybe it's as simple as that. Begin to share Jesus by, by opening up your home to people, by sharing your life with those around you. Now, here's why that's gonna be hard, though. There's a few reasons why even that simple task is going to be hard. If you look at Jesus' life in the Gospels, he never had time that he called his own. Even when he tried to get away and pray, the guy had to pray late at night or super early in the morning. Why? Because his time was always being taken up with people. And I was convicted about this as I prepped for this message. I don't think my number one problem isn't, isn't that there's a lack of people to minister to. My, my number one problem isn't that, that I don't have the right skills or gifting. My number one problem is there's a lack of space in my day. I mean, does your calendar give room for making disciples? We need to open up our lives and share our lives with people. So maybe a simple assignment, here you go. Hey, what do I need to do with this? Give me something practical. Maybe a simple assignment for all of us is, is to ask this, hey, who next month are we inviting over for dinner? And listen, when we get together for dinner as, as believers, that's good too. That, that, that's this fellowship, right? That's what that is. That's getting together for fellowship. But hospitality is doing that with people who don't know Christ. So maybe this month, say, hey, how are we gonna practice hospitality this coming month? Now, here's, here's another hard part about this. If, if, if you grew up in church and you, you've like been incubated in the church, here's, here's another part that might be hard about doing this kind of life-on-life ministry is that, that you actually don't know any non-believers. Right? That, that's a, a real problem. So I would ask this, would, would you be able to pull out your phone and, and skim through your contacts whether it would be like three people in your phone who don't know Jesus, who you could text today and say, hey, let's grab coffee. I got something I want to talk to you about. If not, man, you need to get out there. You need, you need to get out and start to get to know more people. Here's another tough part about doing life on life like this. When you read through the Gospels, Jesus didn't always do it with really easy people to hang out with, did he? Jesus wasn't just hanging out with the nice people. Jesus wasn't just hanging out with the, the clean, easy people. He Jesus was just hanging out with those people who are just, man, guess who I had over for dinner kind of people. I mean, the religious people around Jesus, what did they call him? They said, man, you're a, a glutton and a drunkard. You're a friend of sinners. It was meant as an insult. You're a friend of broken, messed up people. Jesus partied with guys like Matthew, who was a tax collector. And, and, and people of his days hated tax collectors. They, they were gathering taxes for the occupying Roman government. And what they would do, they would take a lot more for themselves. They were dishonest at what they did. They, they were selling out their own people and making a profit on it. They were hated. That's who Jesus partied with. So I would say this, are, are you ever tweaked because you're in a messy place? Are you ever uncomfortable because, man, you're in a place where you're like, man, this is an awkward place for me to be. And not that you're embracing the messy life choice. Not that you're saying, you know, I'm gonna do the things all these people that I'm, I'm hanging out with are doing. You know, you're not doing that, but you're embracing the people, all right? So this isn't like a, a thing where, where if you're a student, you get to go home and go, mom, pff, see, Pastor Kai said I gotta go to the bush party on Friday night, so uh, you gotta let me go because I want to be missional. I want to be on mission. And listen, it's not about engaging in the same activity, right? You catch that? There's a difference, right? It's about embracing messy people, though. And listen, if you're appropriately on mission with broken people, you're not going to mess up your holiness, okay? When we mess up our, you know when we mess up our holiness? When we just hang out with each other. 
That's when Christians get really weird. Just, just, just like hang out in church for a while and just see that, right? Where, where we start to, start to lose it. The Pharisees messed up their holiness because they would never interact with people outside of their circle. We need to find ourselves in places with real broken people who, who here's, this is great, when you, when you get in those places, you're hanging out with people who don't know how to fake it yet. They don't know how to put on the religious front. It's a great place to be. Are you intentional in your life to be on mission of making disciples? Here's a little practical life on life way of doing it, okay? Super proud. My dad taught me this one. Whenever I would go with my dad as a kid, he always went to the same restaurants, the same coffee shops. He got his gas at the same gas station. Why? Because he wanted to get to know those people. When he walked into any of those buildings, they all knew, hey, they all knew who he was. Hey, Don, hey, Don, hey, Don. Like he knew all those people. So, so I would just say this. Maybe that's an easy way. Maybe God has you getting a haircut at the same place with the same person because he has you there because he has an appointment with that person cutting your hair, not you have an appointment with. I can tell you, I've had some of the great, I, I, you know how pastors always have stories about, I was on a plane and this, this led someone to Jesus. I don't get a lot of that, I don't fly a lot, but I'm telling you, man, I have some of the greatest conversations getting my hair cut. There's no light show, there's no worship band there's just somebody with very sharp scissors, so I have to be careful, right? I gotta be careful how I can't be too bold. Jesus' method for, for reaching the masses was not to preach huge sermons all the time. It was not a program. What was it? It was men and women and young people who are giving their lives for the cause of this mission. Here's a third way. Third thing, have a plan. Have a plan. What do I mean by that? I mean, when you're talking to somebody, have a plan for what you're gonna say. Do, do you have a, a story of Jesus in your life? Do you, what we would call in the Christian world, do you have a testimony? Here's my life before I met Jesus. Here's when I met Christ, where God got a hold of my heart, and here's what he's transformed in my life. Have a plan. Maybe your plan is this. Maybe your plan is, hey, I got a neighbor, and he's asking a lot of questions. I'm gonna set up a plan. We're gonna read through the gospel of Mark together. Maybe that's a plan you've got. Maybe your plan is I'm going, to invite, I'm going to invite my friend out to church. That's a good plan. I mean, we, we structure this whole thing on Sunday mornings with that in mind. You know that, right? Listen, our purpose here is we want to grow deep in the word. We're just going to walk through God's word verse by verse. We want to grow and make disciples. But listen, we're also very attuned to the fact that you're inviting your friends. You're, you're saying, hey, you want to go out for lunch? And then you trick them and you come here first, right? <laughs> I get that. So, so listen, when, when, when I preach... You'll notice I don't use a lot of huge theological words. I only know four of them anyway, right? So I don't use them a lot. No, if I do use big words because they're important words, I'm gonna explain them, right? We're, we're gonna take God's word and make it super practical, like street level, how do you live this out? Why? Because we care about those who are coming to hear about Jesus. We want you to invite people. Maybe you could talk to your small group leader about, hey, I got this couple, man. I just want to invite them into my small group because I want them to see how, how Christians live life. I want them to see in a deeper level. Maybe you run into something that's tough. Like, I've got this plan, but man, it's blowing up in front of me. I don't know what to say. Then, then you connect with your small group leader. Call a pastor. Say, hey, hey, what do you do? Jump online. There's so many resources out there. But you're never going to know what God's going to do until you step out. And listen, here's the thing. You will crash and burn at this. You, you will fail horribly at times, as do I. 
Pastors only tell their good stories, right? We don't tell the stories of the, of the 30 people that we tried to share the gospel with and they wanted nothing to do with it, right? Not, not everyone you talk to will be super excited to hear about Jesus, but listen, when you run into people and you keep talking, you keep sharing, there's going to be that person who the Spirit has been drawing their heart. You'd be like, man, that was so easy because God was already at work. Here's another part of it. If you're planning, make prayer a part of your plan. I mean, Jesus prayed a lot. Read through the gospel, see how much prayer Jesus put into his ministry. Are, are you praying? Are you praying about this mission? Are you praying for the lost people in your life? In fact, I, I would say this way. If you think back over all your prayers that you prayed this week, if God answered every single one of the prayers you prayed this week, how many people would now know Jesus? You know, are, you, are you praying for the lost in your life? Lastly, here's the fourth thing. How do we do this? The fourth thing is this, no more excuses. That we, we make a commitment that I'm not, I'm not gonna have any more excuses about this. I, 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 no more of the I don't know what to say. No, no, plan, study, pray, ask for help, figure out what to say. Or how about this excuse? Well, I don't, I don't talk about Jesus because I just live my life and I, I share with, with my life. And listen, that's important. We do need to live like Jesus. It's a good thing. If we're, if we're hypocritical, you ruin the message of the gospel, but there comes a point where we need to open up our mouths because the gospel is not me saying, hey, check out how awesome I am. Look at how well I love people and you just should look at me. No, no, what's the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is I am so broken and messed up, Jesus had to die for me. That's what we're pointing people to. You need to speak to say that. How about this excuse? I don't wanna have this excuse anymore. This is one I use a lot. Talking to people about Jesus makes me feel weird. I'll give you one. That, 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 that's not an excuse, right? That's like the straight up fact. In fact, I heard one person define evangelism this way. It's two people talking to each other, both feeling very awkward. I mean, that's, you're stepping out in a very awkward thing to do, but, but isn't the message important enough that we're willing to risk awkwardness? I was thinking about a friend of mine. We were standing on a street corner, and then while we were standing there, there was this truck pulling an RV, turning the corner. As Jeremy was standing on the curb, I could look and see, man, that thing's going to jump the curb. So what I do? I grabbed Jeremy and kind of pulled him on top of me. We sort of just fell away as the RV jumps over the curb, right? And I don't share that and say, man, that was pretty awesome. He did that. Here's the thing. I could have said, oh, I don't want to grab his shirt. Jeremy really likes that shirt. I don't want to pull on him. And, and if I fall, he's going to fall right on top of me. That's going to be just weird. I don't want that. To, no, no, what do you do, right? You say, forget that. Why? Because it's too important. His life's in danger. So, so here's something. Listen, I think many of us here in this room would risk our lives to jump into the street to push somebody out of the way of a moving vehicle. But how many of us would risk our awkwardness to go across the street to share the good news of eternity? We're called to a very important task. Here's another excuse we sometimes have. I don't want to have this anymore. The excuse of this, I don't have time. And I, I get that one too. We live such busy lives. So, so what do we do? Here's what we do. The key is this, what we just talked about. The key is just live your normal life with gospel intentionality. You're just going to work. I'm just doing work, but I'm doing it with, with my mind towards the gospel. I'm, I'm just going out for dinner, but I'm doing it with my mind towards the gospel. And maybe as you hit up these places in your life, you're praying, God, what do you want me to do here? 
Who have you prepared for me? As the worship team comes up, as we end off this morning, here's the last excuse I want us to put away. And it's this. When we say I'm not capable, I can't do it. Look again at verse 20. Jesus says, he says, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. Look what he says. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I mean, what a great promise that is where we say, I don't think I've got the capability to do this. I mean, I'm like, I'm just a brand new follower of Jesus or, or I, don't know, I don't know if I have all the answers. I don't know if I have the courage to do this. I'm, I'm kind of an introvert, so this isn't my deal. And, and we have all these things. I don't know if I, Jesus, I'm going with you. Picture that. Now imagine going to a neighbor and you have Jesus with you. And you're like, hey, I wanted to tell you about him, Right? Neighbor's like, well, I'm just having lunch right now. I go, oh, really? Jesus, why don't you divide my lunch up for him? And Jesus, right? And he's like, I mean, how cool to have Jesus with you, right? Well, you know, my dog just died, and Jesus would raise his dog from the dead, right? Or my cat just died, and Jesus would help him bury his cat. Like, that's how, right? How awesome would it be to think, man, I'd have Jesus with me. Here's the thing. That's what Jesus has promised us. That, that his spirit is in us. That, that, that he says, my spirit will fill you. I'm gonna give you the word to say. I'm gonna give you the courage to move. I'm gonna give you the power. I'm gonna give you the gifting. It's not about you. It's gonna be about me at work in you. In fact, it's great that you're scared. It's great that you have none of the skills to do it. Why? Because then Jesus gets more glory. It's in our weakness that he's made strong. And so let me leave you with this challenge this morning. Let's not be like General McClellan and never go into battle. A, 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 a Christian without fruit is a contradiction. Right? A tree is known by its fruit. So let, let's have hearts that take up Jesus on this promise. Jesus, you're commanding me to go, but you're promising you're gonna go with me, so, so you have to come with me. And I was convicted this week that I don't need more knowledge, I don't need more, more, more skills, I don't need more gifting, I just need more trust and obedience. So what's it look like for you and your family? What's on the calendar this month to have people in your home? Maybe your house, maybe, maybe you've got students in your home. Maybe your house becomes the house where all the students come. They know, no, no, we go to their house. And we, when we get together, man, we're, we're going there because they have this open house. Man, they just love us when we come to this house. It's just always, and listen, if you do that, if you start, hey, you say to your students, you invite all your friends here, things are gonna get broken, all right? You might hear some language that you don't normally use around your house, and you might hear it coming from your rec room, right? It might get messy. It might be uncomfortable. Maybe once a month you plan as a family, hey, what are we going to do in our community to reach into our community? Where are we going to serve? As small groups this week, maybe get together and go, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are we doing? We're gathering together all the time. We're, we're in each other's lives, but what are we doing on mission? What can we do to reach the neighborhood we're in because God placed us here for a purpose? How is Muskoka and Perry Sound gonna be changed, gonna be transformed? It's when people, when people who know Jesus invite others into our lives and the kingdom of God comes near because we share our lives with them. So would you stand with me as we close in worship? And this morning, I, 
I'm not gonna lead us out in prayer. Here's what I want you to do. Before we sing, why don't you take a couple minutes right now and, and those, those names of people that you have in your mind right now, that God's laid on your heart, let's take some time right now and would you just lift those names up right now? Lord, what's it look like for me to, to be used by you to reach them? God, would you, would you begin drawing their hearts? God, would you use me and take a couple minutes right now that I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. So let's pray together right now. Lord Jesus, you've called us to a, <clears throat> an amazing mission. But even here this morning, we would admit it's, it can be a scary mission. For, for many of us, Lord, this doesn't come naturally to us to, to do this, but God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts a spirit-wrought courage. You would stir within our hearts a, a spirit-wrought conviction. And then we would know as we, as we begin to live life this way with this, this mission in mind, as we recognize that eternity hangs in the balance, that we also would see this, that Jesus, you promised to go with us. That we're not doing this on our own, that it's in your name that lives are transformed. It's in your name that the sick are healed. It's in your name that the dead are raised. It's in your name that people go from being lost to found. And that, Lord Jesus, our only goal, our only task that we have is to point people to you that we're all just beggars pointing other beggars to where we can find bread. And Lord Jesus, that you would then do the work. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.